Dad, wake up! The guests are coming. They're almost here. Honey, it's 7 a.m. They're not coming till 1. Dad, where are they? When are they going to be here? Honey, we still have a few more hours. Why don't you help Bubba get ready? Dad, when are they going to get here? I just can't wait. I don't know, honey, when they get here. Go set the table while you're waiting. Dad, when are they going to be here? Soon, Sarah. Why don't you clean the windows on the door while you wait? Welcome to our house at Thanksgiving. Every time we turned around, Sarah, our youngest, was right at our feet asking, when are they going to be here? She was so excited because she knew, she just knew that her aunts and uncles were coming to be with her. But more importantly, she knew that her cousins were coming to be with her too. And that's really what she cared about. We tried to keep her busy as best we could, which helped for a little while and had the bottom part of our doors very clean. (laughs) But she was always back, right at our feet, full of excitement and frustration. When are they going to be here? Something tells me that you all can relate to those words in your life. Those who read the Gospel of Matthew for the very first time knew something about this kind of expectation and frustration. The Gospel of Matthew was written about 40 years after Jesus' death. When he died, the disciples were under the impression that he was going to come again soon, that they would see him again within their lifetimes. They went out into the world telling new believers to watch for his imminent return. And as these new believers and faithful disciples were watching, they saw all kinds of things. They got to see those who were closest to Jesus begin to die. They saw the Jews rebel against the Roman Empire and watch as Jerusalem and the temple were reduced to ruins. These faithful believers have been watching for Jesus' return, and they are asking themselves, when is he coming? When is he coming back? Will he be here soon? Is he coming at all? To these first listeners, and to the impatient six-year-olds in each one of us, the writers of Matthew shape their message. We have to listen carefully, I think, to hear the message, because the real gift of this passage from Matthew is often lost to the white noise of the little apocalypse that we experience here and overwhelmed by our schedule-laden lives. I find that many people have a hard time hearing any kind of good news from this little apocalypse, which is what this section of Matthew is called, because it's filled with descriptions of the way things will be at the end of times when Christ comes again. Then two will be in the field and one will be taken. Two women will be grinding meal together, and one will be taken. 
one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Those who read the Bible literally tremble when they read these words. And those who make every effort to read the Bible with critical thinking and historical context in mind, we still have a hard time getting past the imagery to the heart of the message. We see the references to Noah, and we remember all the people who, unlike Noah, did not make it on to the ark, who were living normal, everyday lives and were swept away when the floods came. And then we hear how some will be taken and some will be left. And we wonder, where is the grace? Where is the God is good in that text? But when we look beyond these illustrations, look through them, if you will, we begin to see a picture of God at work. These illustrations are used to grab people's attention and inspire faithfulness, not fear. And through them, a promise is clearly outlined. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is coming again. We sing when we gather around the communion table. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We sing those words whenever we gather at the table. But I fear we don't spend enough time thinking through what they mean for us. We don't spend enough time claiming the fact that they proclaim a belief that Christ, who was born of a woman, lived for us. His love-filled life challenged the powers of the world to the point that they killed him. And when all the hope in the world was gone, God acted again to call forth Christ from the clutches of death. And not too long after he was resurrected, this child of love ascended into heaven with the promise that he would come again, with the promise that he would come again in glory. We live in the light of that promise. And as we enter the Advent season, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the one who came so long ago, the text reminds us to keep our eyes peeled for the light of the one who has promised to come again. Matthew then does us the crazy-making favor of reminding us that we do not know exactly when that time will come. We can't pull out our iPhones or whatever device you use and put it on our calendars with reminders to tell us, oh, Jesus is coming in three days and five hours. I mean, since I've been up here preaching, my iPad's beeped at me three times to tell me that I'm missing something. That's how we live today. Our calendars are full Our lives are full of important things that demand our attention 
and focus. Things that are important and life-giving, that make a difference in the world. Things that are just the normal routines that need attention. And things that drain us and distract us. Matthew's timetable drives us crazy because we want to make sure our schedules are free, that we can clear away the clutter and make real time to welcome the one who is coming again. But the scripture is vague about the topic because Matthew knows us better than we know ourselves. What happens if Christ's coming again just happens to coincide with something flagged as important on our calendars. Ooh, I have tickets to see Wicked that night. Can we push your coming again just a day back? Mm, sorry, my daughter's scheduled to go into labor at that point, so can we just put it a week later? I want to spend some time with that baby, please. Uh, hmm, you know, that's my really busy season at work. Can we work around this somehow? You know what I'm talking about. The things of our life distract us from what's important. That is why Jesus will come back like a thief in the night, so that we don't have time to lock him out, so that we don't have time to fill up our calendars and place importance to them rather than to him. I think it's safe to say we wouldn't do it on purpose. We just wouldn't step back long enough from our overcrowded lives to make space for Christ's arrival. Just like those early Christians, we want Christ to come again but we want him to come on our own terms. We want, to meet, we want him to meet our expectations. We want him to fit into our schedules. Because that's what he did the first time, right? Being born in an, uh, to an unmarried teenager in a barn outside of an overcrowded inn, that's exactly what the world was looking for the first time the Messiah came to us, Right? Matthew tells us that Christ will will come again, but that we need to stay awake and be ready because the coming of the Son of Man is going to be unexpected. Matthew invites us to live a life of expectancy for the day when Christ will come and once again judge between the nations and arbitrate for many peoples. We are called to live a life of watchfulness, For the day when we shall beat our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruning hooks, when nations shall not lift up swords against nations. And oh, please, Lord, we won't learn war anymore. We are called to stand on our doorsteps with our faces pressed firmly against the glass, searching for signs of the one who is to come. But more than that, our wakefulness, our expectancy needs to be shaped by practices that will help us reflect the warm glow of God's future in our present reality, so that all people may walk in the light of the Lord. 
our watchfulness. Our expectancy need to be shaped by practices that help us to reflect the warm glow of God's love for all people. This Advent season, your Fairmount community is trying to embody practices that will help us to stay awake to the possibilities of God in the world. In your bulletin today, you will find an insert with daily scripture readings and guiding questions that we hope will help you to create space in your schedule puckered lives to look again for Christ's coming into the world. Throughout Advent, we have opportunities for worship and community that will help us to embody the peace Christ yearns to see so that we may be, so that we may be more mindful, mindful of the ways we can share Christ's peace and love with all people. May this candle that burns so brightly, that reminds us of the hope that is a present in the world, may this candle, in the light it sheds, burn away our domesticated expectations so that we may live life in the light of God's gifts that will come to us once again. May it burn away our domesticated expectations so that we can watch anew for the coming of Christ in the world. May it be so. Amen.